Are you wanting to create a highly prosperous photography business doing what you love? Or maybe you have a great business already and want to up your game? Then you're in the right place. Master craftsman photographer Lucy Dumas and her guests are here to support you on your journey. Now here's your hostess and tour guide, Lucy. Change before you have to. And that's a quote by Jack Welsh. And another good one we'll be talking about today, technical plus creative equals photography. And that's by our guest, Aaron Hockley. Before I introduce him, I want to say thank you again for listening to this show. It means so much to me to know that the time and effort that my guests put into it is being listened to around the world. And, you know, it's a labor of love for me. Um, and so I just want you all to know that uh, it is really special that many people tell me they're listening and they're getting a lot of value. So thanks a bunch. And be sure to go to lucydumascoaching.com if you want to send me any kind of a message. Um, join the private Facebook group, The Profitable Photographer, and all that good stuff. Okay, so let me tell you about Mr. Hockley. He's a photographer, author, and speaker. He merges his expertise in photography and technology to help others find success. He's a PPA master craftsman photographer. And if you know what this is, this is extremely impressive. He's represented Team USA in the World Photographic Cup. Wow. He writes and speaks about the technical aspects of photography, the business and the industry as a whole. And recently, he's focused on how artificial intelligence, also known as AI, is impacting how photographers capture, edit, and manage our images with on eye, oh, whoops, with an eye <laughs> towards the shifting future of the industry. So Aaron, thanks so much. It was exciting to meet you when we were judging at the professional photographers of San Diego County print competition. And I'm so happy you said yes. Yeah, thank you, Lucy. I'm glad to be here. It's always fun to chat with other photographers doing interesting things and, and talk about what it is that we do. Yeah, interesting things. Isn't that our career? Um, so in a one minute time space or so, can you sh just share a little about how you got started in photography? Yeah, I, like many folks, I got started in photography as a hobby. Uh, unlike a lot of photographers, it wasn't as a child. I, I don't have that story where I was in the high school yearbook staff or anything like that. I didn't really pick up photography until um, it was, I was right around the year 2000 um, when I started, um, you know, just capturing pictures on family vacations and things that interested me around town and such and with travel um, and, you know, picked it up as a hobby. So I'm a, I'm a digital native photographer. I never really shot film seriously. Mm. Uh, my, my first digital camera was a Kodak. I don't remember the exact model number now, but I think it had like a 1.1 megapixel sensor. <laughs> mm. um, and, and somewhere around my office here, I still have, I think, a, an eight megabyte compact flash card, you know, so not, not even one of our current photos would fit on that card. I can do um, you better on that, Aaron. I, I just, I was doing a little housekeeping. My sister's coming to town and I have a one. 
Oh, make okay. Buy it. Wow. <laughs> and I that's... thought we should frame this. This is <laughs> <Right>. a collectible. <laughs> exactly. So I have an eight or two here and there. So yeah. Yeah. So I got into it as a hobby and, um, you know, fast forward a few years and uh, my, my background is in technology and software development. And I was involved with, um, you know, kind of the, the independent tech scene in the Portland, Oregon area where I live. And um, I brought my camera to some different events that were going on and would, you know, capture some pictures of things happening. And I, I shared them out to Flickr as one did in the early 2000s. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, another know, thing going in the Smithsonian. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, at, at some point, you know, I started getting approached by some people who said, hey, you know, we're having this event. We really like, really like how you capture photos. Um, you know, would you come to this event and, and take pictures for us? And so, um, that was kind of the genesis of when I started getting into photography professionally. I, mm. uh, I officially started my, my photo business in 2008. Um, and you know, <laughs> since then... It was um, an incredible time. Uh, yeah, let's start a business and then a recession <laughs> is going to hit. But right, right. Aaron, I started mine in 82, right in the middle okay. of a big recession, <laughs> which was how I found myself unemployed was recession hit i lost a contract with a little business i was running because of it so it's actually a good time to start because we don't know any better right right you know you've got a lot of flexibility you know there's you're not necessarily tied to a particular thing and so uh you know started doing work professionally and you know have, have tried different things over the years but you know kind of where i have landed and what i photograph now uh, professionally falls really into two two realms. One is that I still do a lot of special events other than weddings. So conferences, trade shows, company mm -hmm. meetings, startup launch parties, uh, things like that. That's been interesting over the last, you know, 18 months with the pandemic because not much of that has been happening. Um, the other thing that I do is um, kind of work doing a small business commercial, being that jack of all trades photographer for small businesses and startups. Um, everything from, you know, founder headshots to product photos to, uh, you know, cool photos of their office for their website and things like that. And so mm -hmm. uh, those are the, the main two areas I work in when I'm creating images at this point for money. <laughs> Interesting. So um, I was the editor of my yearbook, Aaron, <laughs> but I didn't do the photography because A, the, co the cost, um, but just didn't really have the money to spend on good cameras and film and processing and all that. But the whole thing just totally intimidated me. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't until, and maybe you can tell me if this is AI, but until the auto cameras where you could set the sh shutter speed and it picked the aperture. So I didn't have to learn the technology at first to get the photographs that I'd already, I mean, that I've always had in my mind and in my eye. So I, am I right in assuming I've been using AI? You have in a way. And it, yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, when I, when I started to, you know, got to the point of deciding I was going to write a book on artificial intelligence and photography, it's like, okay, let's start at the beginning and start by understanding, you know, what do we want to call the definition of AI? And the definition that, you know, resonated with me and the one that I, you know, talk about in the book is, you know, artificial intelligence really boils down to um, 
enable, you know, a computer technology that can perform tasks that were previously thought to be only possible done by humans. And so when you think about that definition, it's like, yeah, that's going to evolve over time because there's lots of things that we do with computers now or that a computer can do automatically that were once only possible with humans. And in the photographic world, um, you know, you're right. Some of that, you know, that automated um, metering technology, uh, that uh, technology to, you know, create those auto modes in your camera where, yeah, you can, you know, put it in aperture priority and it'll figure out an appropriate shutter speed or vice versa. And, um, you know, things like that. that was, those were kind of the beginnings of, um, you know, some early kind of computerized, you know, digital technology, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you know, on the, you know, the, at the point, you know, pretty primitive, um, you know, processors that were in these cameras. Um, but that was the beginning of, you know, technology lowering, you know, kind of lowering that barrier to entry of, on the technical side of photography mm -hmm. of, you know, you didn't need to understand the math quite as much anymore. <laughs> right, right. Now, of course, I know you agree with this. In order to do what I really wanted to do, then I had to actually learn about apertures and f-stops and ISOs. I like to say an f-stop, know an f-stop from a bus stop. Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and I see a lot of very fine photographers that are not really totally in control, uh, you know, <laughs> don't understand those things. So luckily it's sort of, it was like a little crutch for me, but I had to learn to, to shoot in manual and understand lighting and all the things, you know, the camera couldn't do it all. And um, so it helped create those synapses in my brain that now the technology is still not my fave, but you know, it's, it becomes more natural. Do you know what I'm talking about? That it does. Like yeah. And the, you know, we, most of us, you know, at least in the modern area era, we, we start out, you know, kind of in those automatic modes, whether it's on, um, you know, I mean, even on our smartphone, right. We, you know, we point and shoot, we hit the the button and we don't think about the, the technical settings that are being used or, you know, or on a, you know, a traditional camera or a DSLR or even a mirrorless camera or something like that. You know, if we put it into one of those modes where the camera is doing some of the thinking for us, you know, we, we can make some pretty good pictures, right? I mean, you know, sometimes, you know, I mean, the, the technology has gotten really good to make, you know, decent pictures uh, in a lot of situations, you know, and, you know, folks then run into situations like you did where it's like, okay, well, I'm making okay pictures in most situations, but how can I learn to make, you know, even better pictures in all situations, right? What do I do when I walk into a situation that where the, the lighting is different than the camera is doing well with, or, mm -hmm. you know, when I want to end up with a finished result that's different, you know, than the one that the camera just wants to do when it's on an auto mode. And that's where you have to really understand the different technical pieces, you know, the, the shutter speed, the aperture, the, you know, the ISO, all that, how those different, um, you know, technical components work together to make that finished product. And that's where, you know, that, that's what sets, you know, a real, a serious, you know, knowledgeable photographer who's good at their craft apart from someone who's, you know, just using a camera in an auto mode and ends up with some happy accidents at times. Mm -hmm. Yep. One of the things that I still, because I don't use flash photography a lot, Erin. Um, I'm, I'm an actual skilled natural photographer, meaning I'm in control of the light outdoors. It's not 
random let's go out in the field mm-hmm. and hope for the best um but when i do wedding or some other event one of the things i i often forget until i'm like head slap oh that's right that's why that's not working is i used to put my flash with film um on auto mode a lot i could do that i would set well i had manual cameras so i i set the you know, set all the technology and <clears throat> the highest ISO film that I used was 800. And I would set that at 400 when they finally invented that. Well, with, with um, digital cameras, we can have higher ISOs. And if the flash is on auto, it thinks there's a lot of light. So it cranks down the output. Mm-hmm. And then the light is weird colors. Let's say it's an interior, weird colors coming from overhead. And <laughs> I sometimes when I'm at an event and I'm like, why is it doing this? That's, that's right. I have to set this on like 400 if I want the flash output or I have to do the flash on manual. So you know what I'm talking about with like yeah, and that's, technology you know- can create confusion too. Exactly. And that's, you know, one of those things where, you know, as you learn more, you learn about all those different pieces that are going together because yeah, as you ran into with, with lighting, it's like, okay, so you've got your ambient light in the room, you know, and that may be from different types of light bulbs that have different color temperatures. And then your, your flash on your camera or off your camera has its own, you know, color temperature that it's going to add light to the scene at and, you know, understanding how all of those things work together is one of the, um, you know, one of the things in, you know, eventually producing the result that you want so that you don't mm-hmm. end up with a weird color cast, you know, <laughs> you know, you might have a lovely bride that you're taking a photo of and she's in a white dress and you get your photos and you start looking at them and it's, yeah, why is the dress, you know, have a greenish tint to it? Or why right. does the dress, why does the dress have an orangish tint to mm-hmm. it? You know, and it's because, oh, well, my, my lighting in the situation based on, you know, the light that was there and then how I told the camera to capture the light with the white balance, <laughs> um, you know, was off. And so, right. um, you know, these are all things where, you know, there, there's any number of these technical things that over the years at different points in the evolution of camera and technology, photographers have had to learn to figure out. And then, you know, the technology has evolved that, you know, well, you know, you still need to understand all these concepts, you know, for, for some scenarios. Mm-hmm. The reality is that the, the auto modes, the, you know, the built-in features on our modern cameras also can help make a lot of those decisions and they make more of those decisions correctly than they used mm-hmm. to, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, um, just a quickie and then I want to dig into that. So I did a wedding in Hawaii for one of my best uh, families that I've done six first communion, six senior <laughs> sessions. So of course I got to go to the Hawaii wedding and the church is one of those big open, lots of windows, um, you know, lo- lots of good natural light, but not directed at the faces of the bride and the groom and everybody walking towards you coming up or down the aisle. And when the priest said that I wasn't allowed to use flash on those (laughs) and I, you know, or I asked him if I could, and he was thinking I was a complete amateur because every other photographer loves 
the fact that they don't have to use any flash. And I couldn't tell him all those people don't really understand how that when you've got a face, you want light going into the eyes, not the top of the head. Right. <laughs> so anyway, I, I didn't win on that. And operators need to stand by. We need to be a part of the decision-making still. Is that what yeah, you're and and understanding the decisions that you're going to make for a given situation, you know, given the equipment that you're using, right? You know, and there's, you know, it's it's kind of one of those things where, um, you know, I often look at, you know, especially with like event, corporate event photography. You know, I, my competition as a corporate event photographer in 2021 is not the other event photographers that live in the same town that I do. My competition is the company that says no, we're not going to hire you to photograph the event. You know, we've got Bob in human resources who likes to photograph waterfalls on the weekend and he's got a decent <laughs> camera. And so we'll have him photograph the event. Right. And it's like, you know, yeah, Bob probably goes out and makes some decent waterfall photos. Um, because the reality is you can take pretty much any camera that's sold at right now and go out and make some decent waterfall photos with yeah. it without, without knowing much of anything about photography. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, but what you get when you hire a professional who knows what they're doing is somebody who can walk into whichever venue they happen to deal with and, you know, and look at the situation and know their equipment and figure out how to get good photos reliably every time. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's what differentiates, um, you know, myself as a knowledgeable, you know, professional photographer from, you know, someone who's got camera gear that's, you know, pretty good in most situations, right? You know, pretty good in most situations usually isn't good enough for commercial work, right? You want good in every situation. Right. And so um, that's where serious photographers, you know, professional or not, are still going to be able to differentiate themselves is when they have that skill set, when they really understand the craft to make those, you know, technically correct and impactful images. Exactly. So I've kind of been circling your topic of artificial intelligence. Um, so I want to open it up for you to like, give us some more meat on that topic. Yeah. Um, and key, key ways we can use it are already using it, you know, Right. empty your whole brain out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it is interesting because, you know, when people think about artificial intelligence, they often think about, you know, they think about the really abstract, almost kind of sci-fi side of things. You know, people jump to the extremes usually. Robots. Um, you know, robots <laughs> or, you know, self-driving cars or things like that, you know, mm -hmm. which are obviously much, you know, not quite as sci-fi as they once were, much less fiction. Um, but, you know, the reality is, even if we look at photography, you know, all of us are using it already in our photography in a few different ways. And, you know, I kind of look at, there's really kind of three general areas where I apl AI applies to photography. Uh, you know, one is in the image capture, right? So AI technologies that are used in the camera, and the camera might be a, a DSLR, a mirrorless camera, or a smartphone. And then there's AI technologies that we use um, when we're editing our photos, okay. uh, whether that's through, um, you know, Photoshop or Lightroom or Capture One or Luminar or whatever software we, you know, or, you know, Apple Photos or whatever software we're using to edit our images after we've captured them. 
And then the third kind of general area is, you know, AI technology to just help us manage our images, right? Because, you know, prolific photographers, you know, hobbyist or pro, you know, we've got thousands and thousands of images that we capture every year and mm -hmm. uh, keeping track of all those and being able to go back and find images later on is a, an endeavor onto itself. And mm -hmm. that's, that's another area where, um, you know, we can offload some of that work to the computer and let it use some of its smarts to help make things easier. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, really, we're all probably using some of that in, in different ways, um, you know, and to kind of circle back to something we, we talked about already, you know, you mentioned using, you know, the auto modes in your, your film cameras, um, you know, was one of those first places where, you know, the, the camera was starting to make some intelligent decisions based on, you know, what you were doing. You know, and as we fast forward, you know, we look at now having, you know, advanced DSLRs and mirrorless cameras, you know, we, we don't just have like auto exposure and metering and things like that, you know, we have thing, you know, we don't just have autofocus, but mm -hmm. now we have things like, well, okay, it can detect a face in a photograph and automatically focus on the face part of yeah, the image. Yeah, that blows or, me away. Yeah, or that it can detect a subject eyes, you know, and so it will automatically focus on the eyes of a, a person or a pet. You know, there are some photographer or some uh, cameras now that have pet eye autofocus as well. Um, and that it can, it can track that and adjust the focus in the camera in real time as that subject is moving within your frame. And oh. that's something where, you know, there used to be a, a technical barrier there, right? A photographer would have to really understand focus and understand adjusting that focus perhaps as a subject moved. Um, and now the computer technology in our, in our camera or in our smartphone can help take care of some of that for us. It doesn't require as much technical skill to get that focus right. Mm -hmm. So are there some newer professional cameras that are doing all of that, that if you were in the market, you'd... Yeah, there, um, you know, it, it's been interesting. What we've seen is, um, you know, if you look at, the mainstream kind of professional camera industry, you know, if you go back, I don't know, 10 years, maybe 15 years, the reality was it was mostly a Canon and Nikon world. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they were the big two names that were making professional DSLRs. There were, there were some others. Um, Sony had like one model that they made a DSLR of. Olympus made a DSLR line, but most of the market was, was Canon and Nikon. Um, as uh, as mirrorless cameras took off, I don't know, five, you know, between, I guess, probably five plus years ago is when that really started becoming a mainstream thing. Um, what we saw was not just, you know, we saw Canon and Nikon kind of stop innovating quite as quickly. <laughs> and we saw other companies like Sony and Olympus and Panasonic that came in with their, their mirrorless offerings. And in many cases, um, initially those mirrorless offerings had, you know, they had smaller than full frame sensors. And so what the companies had to do to make images that were as good as you could get with like a full frame DSLR is they essentially had technology that, that helped bridge that gap. It might be a smaller sensor, but they've got better software to do that image processing wow. to make, um, you know, an equivalent, you know, final result. Um, and that, that same concept on a different level is how we end up with good looking pictures out of our smartphone cameras, right? Because mm -hmm. the sensor on a smartphone camera is, you know, I mean, it's tiny. Look at the size of the 
object it has to fit into. Um, but even though it has that tiny sensor, companies like Apple and Google, you know, with their Android operating system and that, they've invested a ton of development energy into the, the image processing technology to take, you know, what started out as a, or starts out as a small, um, you know, small image sensor capture, and then apply a bunch of technology, a bunch of AI to turn that into a finished image that, you mm -hmm. know, I mean, we've all seen fantastic photos that get captured on the iPhone every day. Little, little side question. Have you studied the difference between the Apple, or the iPhone 12 and 13, and is the new camera really better? The, the 12 and 13, yeah, it is interesting. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in the Apple ecosystem myself and I'm on the, I, I'm on the iPhone upgrade plan. So I basically get the new camera every year. And so I, last year I had the, the 12 pro max, which was the biggest one they had. And the reason I got that is because it was the only one with the best camera system. I, I, I don't ah. like having a giant phone, but I wanted the best camera. And so that was a trade-off I made this year. I was excited to see that they offered the same kind of top camera system in both the giant one and just the regular size iPhone 13 Pro. So I got the regular size one. Um, you know, this year's camera improvements, um, they made some nice improvements to the cameras. I mean, th there's nothing revolutionary. It's not like a completely new system, um, but they did make some improvements on the camera. Um, a couple of the, you know, there's the three cameras on the, on the Pro phone um, and two of the three cameras um, now have a wider app wider aperture. I'm trying to remember the exact difference. I think one of them went from a F1.8 to a 1.4. Um, I think one of them went from a, was it a 2.4 to a two or something? But so, you know, again, let, you know, same size sensor, it's still the, the same size sensor, I believe, but it's letting in more light, which, you know, as photographers, we know is going to give us better low light photography. Um, and also give us a, you know, a little bit shallower depth of field when we want that effect. Um, the other thing that they did that I thought was nice is on the, on the telephoto camera, um, it's now about 50% farther reach instead of a, from the and, 12 to the 13. Yeah. On the, on the pro telephoto camera. Yeah. And they, you know, they call it telephoto, which, you know, in like millimeter equivalent, I think it went from a, I think it was a 65 to a 77. Mm -hmm. So you know, as, as a photographer, I don't normally think of a 77 as being a telephoto necessarily, but, you know, we're starting to get close to like that 85. That's kind of a traditional portrait lens there. Right. right. <laughs> um, and so, um, you know, I like having that little bit of extra reach, you know, built into the camera as well. Right. So uh, thank you. That was just a little, uh, yeah, yeah. cause I just bought the 12 <laughs> this summer and I don't know if there's a way that I can do a a shift or if it's worth it. It sounds like it might be. Anyway, it's not about me. So, okay. So cameras, you were saying that, which that's also interesting to know that my, my smaller sensor, Sony, that's an SSS, smaller sensor to Sony. <laughs> Still it, I've, I've just used it for fun and travel and maybe clients that I know we're not going to do a wall portrait, mm -hmm. it's fun to have, but that the technology improvement, the processor, I still could do a 30, 40 and have it look really nice 
on that if I was a mind to it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, we definitely can. And, you know, and with Sony and, and Canon and Nikon and the other companies, you know, most of them have now come out with mirrorless full frame cameras as well. So you can get that bigger sensor if you really want that, um, you know, but part of what allows, you know, these smaller sensored cameras um, to to make really good images is, you know, is in the software that, that kind of happens after the fact, ah. whether it's, um, you know, whether it's the kind of that initial image processing that happens, you know, right on the, the image sensor that in the camera, um, you know, or whether that's, you know, kind of explicit editing that we can do after the fact, if we want to make an image, you know, bigger than it was when it was originally captured. Right. right. I mean, so maybe we have an image that, you know, at its native resolution, looks like it will only print up to a, I don't know, a, a, a 30 inch print or something, but, you know, we want to make a 40 inch print out of it. Um, you know, and so is that, in, is that then are we, have we moved to the editing? Yeah, we, we kind of are naturally here okay. moving into, you know, yes, here's how AI can help you with editing. <laughs> didn't give some, give us some tips on cameras that might look into if you were fixing to get a new one with them with the eye sensor and all that as a pro, pro camera is there a couple you know i would say i mean realistically at this point most of the cameras you're not going to run into a significant difference in what's capable um you know with uh, you know let's say in a canon versus a nikon or a canon versus a sony or a sony versus a you know whatever brand, you know, I would say, you know, if you're, if you're already in an ecosystem, you know, you have Nikon lenses, you have Sony lenses, you have, you know, whatever, um, you know, moving to, you know, the, the latest camera from that same manufacturer is going to be a good move. You're going to get a lot of good technology upgrades there. Um, you know, if you're looking to start completely from scratch, I mean, if you are looking to kind of replace your whole camera system, maybe you have an, a DSLR system and you haven't gone mirrorless yet and you're looking at whether you want to do that. Um, you know, I would say that um, Sony was really kind of the, the leader for several years in, you know, innovation as far as, you know, capabilities of their mirrorless cameras. Um, Canon and Nikon for a while were kind of lagging behind, although they've both done a good job of playing catch up. And so now they have, um, you know, Canon has their, what is that? I believe it's the R3 is kind of their current, um, you know, flagship mirrorless camera. Okay. Nikon. So I don't mean to cut you off, but yeah. um, just want to see if what I'm thinking you're saying is what you're saying. So moving into a mirrorless camera period is going to get a lot of the most ie ai ie <laughs> artificial intelligent incredible things with mirrorless is that what for the most part that's where we're seeing most of the innovation what okay. we're seeing usually is that um at least with like canon and nikon is they will take those innovations and they will eventually apply them to their DSLR line. Um, but they seem to be a little bit slower in doing so. Um, okay. I think, um, you know, some of that, you know, it's hard to say why that is. I think some of that is just kind of what the market is demanding in that, sure. um, you know, the reality is the market for a traditional bigger, bulkier, heavier DSLR isn't 
you know, quite what it was at right. times. Um, there definitely are still some things that those cameras can do really well for specific purposes. But I think what we've seen in the photo industry is that most photographers, you know, if they haven't already moved to mirrorless are looking at that seriously as this might be the next thing I go to just right. because, um, that does seem to be where the innovation is happening. In a lot of cases, it'll let you use equipment that's a little bit lighter, you know, less less weight to carry around is yeah. always a although, good thing. <laughs> although, Aaron, I find that once I put a lens on it, that tiny little weight difference right. <laughs> is negligible and it, and it doesn't feel as balanced to me. But uh, so I want to move on to the your number two category. And it, this show is called The Profitable Photographer. Right. So we're often talking about money and marketing and uh, inner journey to success. And I love that we're like, okay, and it's really good that you know your equipment and use technology and like mm -hmm. that all contributes to prof prof profitability. <laughs> profitability <laughs> is we, we need, uh, we don't have to have the best of everything. Right. But I'm hearing from you, especially that there are some nice advantages. There can um, be. And, you know, but the reality is, you know, as a professional photographer in the business, um, you hopefully know and have the confidence that, you know, you could take a five-year-old camera and probably come up with a better end result than somebody who doesn't know what they're doing with a brand new camera yeah. uh, in a lot of situations, right? Um, it's not just the camera technology that's going to, that's going to get you there. Right. Um, but it can support. It, it can support and it can help, models. right? Okay. So let's so, move on to number two, the editing. Yeah. Uh, and how AI helps us with that and maybe what you see in the future that will blow our minds. Yeah. And as we look at editing our images, you know, obviously considerations are going to be different depending on the type of photography that you're doing. But, you know, let's just look at a couple examples. Um, so if you're making portraits, you know, whether that's headshots, bridal portraits, senior photos, you know, babies, <laughs> what, yep. whatever that is, um, you know, when you edit a portrait, um, you know, you know that, you know, you're looking at different things that are considerations when editing, right? You're looking at the skin texture. You might be doing, you know, you might want to do some skin smoothing or retouching, maybe remove some blemishes. Um, you know, you're going to want to, you um, perhaps do some editing on the eyes, right? You want those, you know, you were talking earlier about knowing that, you know, a good photographer knows that if they're going to make a, a picture of somebody, you know, you generally want some light in those eyes, right? And so you're going to look at those eyes when you do the editing as well. And, you know, whether that's to, you know, sharpen up parts of the eye or, you know, maybe enhance the color a little bit in the iris or whatever it is, mm -hmm. um, you know, you know, these different considerations for, for editing a portrait. Well, um, you can do all that manually, right? You can start from scratch. You can sit down with Photoshop and use a bunch of manual tools in Photoshop to go through and do all that, you know, but there are also different pieces of software now and functions within Photoshop itself that, you know, if we look at artificial intelligence and what can the computer learn about an image and figure out what to do, well, if the computer can recognize, hey, this image has a face in it, and I want to edit this face, you know, instead of us having to manually do some of those, those functions, whether it's blemish retouching or sharpening the eyes a little bit or things like that, the computer can kind of detect those different parts of things. And there are 
um, you know, some plugins and systems that, that already exist that can do this, right? So there's a, you know, I know there's been a long a plugin for a while now for Photoshop, uh, just called Portraiture. Right, I love um, that. That, that has the ability to do some of this work, right? And this is a case where um, you're going to, you know, in, instead of having to manually, you know, soften this part of the image and sharpen that part of the image, and you have to do that all manually, you know, the, the computer can figure out, oh, okay, this is a face. These are the eyes. These are the lips. This, right. you know, looks like what it is. I'm going to go make all these adjustments kind of automatically on my own based on, you know, what I think is going to look good. And, mm -hmm. you know, I really love um, image, image nomics. Yeah, I think that's the name picture. of it. That sounds yes. right. Um, so the thing that's blown my mind totally is in Photoshop, the new liquify mm -hmm. tool. Mm -hmm. I've spent countless hours opening eyes. Um, <laughs> uh, that, that's one of the main ones, opening eyes. And there's just a little slider where you can open the left one bigger, smaller, wider. Um, the lips, if the lips are open a little, you can you can use a slider and it's going to close it. So that's what you're talking about, right? That's in the yeah. And those kinds of tools. I mean, these are the things that, as we talk about, you know like you said, we're on the, the profitable photographer podcast, right? You know, so one of the ways that AI can help make you more efficient as a, as a business person is eliminate some of the time that it takes you to do these things, right? right? So if, you know, I mean, as photographers, we all know things like manually adjusting eyes or, um, you know, I mean, who, every photographer that's ever done a group photo of any sort knows that you often end up doing head swaps or things, you know, eye changes or things like that. So that different subjects look good and doing all that manually can be time consuming. Right. right. But if or the expensive, if you have someone else do it for you, which exactly. I recommend, uh, <laughs> right. But yeah, have AI do it. Are there yeah. softwares? So mentioned the, image nomics portraiture and some of the new features in uh photoshop uh i don't know if it started in 2020 or if it's a 2021 other are there other programs yeah there are tools um you know like I, some that you recommend yeah the other um the other kind of suite of products that's doing some interesting things with AI, um, the, the Topaz Labs plugins for Photoshop, um, and they also work with other applications as well, but they have some interesting tools around, um, you know, sharpening, um, you know, we talked about like skin retouching and selective mm -hmm. sharpening. They have a, a sharpening and a, a denoise plugin and things like that that use AI to really help kind of apply that selectively. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and some of this is here today and some of this are things that I'm optimistic for for the future, right? So like mm -hmm. with that, that group portrait and the head swap scenario, if the computer can figure out, okay, I, I went out there and I photographed, you know, 10 10 frames here in rapid capture of this, this group. Well, odds are that if somebody was blinking in frame one, they might not be blinking by frame 10. Um, you know, why can't the computer do that head swap for me automatically Aww. or realize that this same person who's at this exact, it's obviously the same person, the same spot in the image was well, eyes are open in this image. And as eyes are closed in that image, replace the closed eyes with the open eyes automatically, right? Yeah. That seems very doable to me as something that could be coming, you know, very soon. Right. <laughs> um, well, you know. I know, Aaron, there's a 
an online service where you download all your files and it will select the ones that are the best. Right. Yes. And then uh, it doesn't probably erase them, but it'll find the blinks. If there's like six that are almost the same, it'll pick out, you know, a few, depending on how you set that up. I can't remember the name of that. Do you know the name of that? There one? are a few out there. There's one called um, uh, Aftershot uh-huh. um, that um, there's a handful. And I just had a link recently I, I found that that did a roundup of like nine different tools. Um, but yeah, that whole kind of photo culling process is another yes, area where, where I can culling. help. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, we come back from a shoot and it's like, great, I've got, you know, I mean, heck, if I do a corporate event, I mean, I might come back with, you know, a thousand images, right, you know, from, right. from an event. Yeah, it calls and, out blurs. Right, yeah, yeah, blurs, ones that are obviously way overexposed or underexposed, you know, cases where there's, you know, basically three images that are duplicates and it'll identify what it thinks is the best one. Yeah. It's like um, 20 bucks a month or something. Yeah, yeah, and there's yeah. software, yeah, there, there's online services that can do this, there's programs that you can use, um, I think Aftershoot um, or Aftershot uh, runs on your computer, um, you know, they integrate to differing levels with your existing workflows, you know, whether you use Lightroom or Bridge or Capture One or whatever it is you use to kind of manage your images. Um, I would expect this is an area that probably in the future, I could see a program like Lightroom, right? Which, you know, in addition to doing basic photo editing, I mean, one of its big strengths is helping you manage your image collection. You know, I could see Adobe adding some of these features into the import module of Lightroom. You know, yeah. where it, it can do some of this basic stuff, right? I mean, it already has the notion where you can manually flag or reject images. What if it could do that on import and automatically mark a batch of them as, you know, rejects because, you know, eyes are closed or it's out of focus yeah, or like pre, things like that. Pre-do stars, like set right. up colors of duds. I very much dislike Lightroom because I cannot somehow figure out the whole cataloging and where are those and why do I have to import and export? And I, I, not my favorite program, mm -hmm. but um, if it would do that, <laughs> I could see the value. So I don't want to run out of time and uh, this could be a great like three hour conversation. Right, right. Yeah. And, now, you know, so, go ahead. And I was just going to say, and we, we've kind of naturally started to drift into that, that third general area, which is kind of managing our photo collections as well. I love right? when that so, <laughs> Right. You know, it, it's just like our photo workflow. We're just kind of moving through the process. Right. Yeah. But, you know, as we've, you know, captured our photos, we've gone in, we've edited them, we've done them. So now we've got this huge collection of images from, you know, days, weeks, years, decades of photography we've been doing. Um, you know, how do, how do we find stuff, right? And, you know, traditionally, you know, with digital photography, it's like, okay, well, you sort things into file folders on your computer, and, you know, maybe you assign metadata, you, you know, you tag things with keywords through maybe an application that does that, and then you can use a catalog. Sure, Aaron, I've done that all the time, <laughs> every single time for every image, <laughs> not. You know, right, yeah. Yes, I, I should have. Like, should in have. an ideal world, you should have, but the reality is, you know, that takes a lot of time and it's kind of tedious, yeah. things like that. And so mm -hmm. what if the computer could do some of that for you automatically, right? I think one big area that's going to change and is already changing is our, just our thinking about metadata and what we have to keep track of versus what can be figured out automatically. Mm. 
you know, back in the pre-digital days, you know, photographers had to take notes about like when and where they took their photos, right? Whereas now when I capture an image on my iPhone or on a camera that has, you know, a, a GPS built in, it automatically captures all that for me. I don't have to do right. anything, right? Uh, you know, and, you know, applications that we have available today, whether that's Lightroom or Apple Photos or some other programs, you know, Google Photos, you know, they can already do things like face detection and face recognition. And I can yeah. tell, you know, so I can tell Apple on my iPhone or on my computer, hey, this is a picture of my daughter. And it can then go find all the other photos of my daughter in my image collection without mm -hmm. me having to do anything else. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's a case where, you know, in the past, the only way you would have done that is if you'd manually tagged every one of those images with, you know, daughter or your daughter's name or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, AI is going to help us figure that out. But, you know, if we look towards the future and what might be possible down the road is, you know, well, instead of just tagging like, okay, it's my daughter, or these are all the images that I photographed at, you know, Petco Park in San Diego. What if um, the AI can figure out stuff automatically? Like, what if the AI could figure out, oh, that's a photograph of Petco Park. Right. Or, oh, that's clearly the Eiffel Tower. Is, right. it, the one, is it the one in Paris or is it the one in Vegas? I don't know. Well, right. you know, <laughs> but, right. um, you know, these kinds of things, yeah. you know, I mean, or you can... It's flowers or it's water or right. So. And, you know, we have some of that now, right. You know, even without doing anything else, you can go into Google photos or Apple photos and be like, say, you know, waterfalls and it'll find what it thinks are waterfall photos, but of my, of my images. Yep. Huh. But I have to load them into. If, yeah. I mean, if, you know, like if, you know, like on your iPhone, you know, if, even if you just go on your iPhone into, uh, you know, into the photos app, if you click on the um, search um, down right. at, at the, down at the bottom, you know, you can type in, you know, I don't know, San Diego or summer or, you know, any number of terms that it has used AI to analyze what's there. And it, and it can right. find a lot of stuff now, but imagine what's going to be possible in the future is that technology gets even better. Right. Mm -hmm. So if it automatically detects it's a photo of the Golden Gate Bridge, right now it might be able to do that, but like, why would it not also then associate it with being in San Francisco? Um, it could look at- Sunrise, you know, sunset. Yeah, look at the image. What's the mood in the image, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we know that an yes, image that's like, you know- Bright. Yeah, an oh. image that has bright, white, high key, soft is going to be like a certain mood versus one that's dark, grungy, gritty, a lot of mm -hmm. textures, you know, like computers can start to figure this stuff out as well. So are there, because, you know, I know that's been in the um, iPhoto photos world. I'm a Mac person. And, um, but for our professional work, are there softwares that we would use for, you know, in the Photoshop world. Yeah, this is the kind of thing where I would expect already exist, already exist or you think it's something where what's in that, you know, cameras world, then mm -hmm. the professional world is going to have it later. Like, does it exist? I now. think yeah, right now, I think we've mainly seen this in more kind of consumer oriented things. Um, yeah. You know, they're, they're going for 
you know, the market of people who, you know, they don't even know what a metadata keyword is, right? They're just right. a random person who's taken a bunch of pictures and they want to find all their photos from, you know, their family vacations right. or something Flowers to, you know, or... to the beach, mm -hmm. um, you know? And so um, what we've seen is like with Apple and Google, uh, you know, these more consumer focused companies have built this stuff in. I would expect we will start seeing more of those features come into the, you know, kind of the professional image management applications, you know, whether that's, you know, Lightroom or Bridge or Capture One, or, you know, I know Luminar has added a library kind of feature to their software now, but these, you know, the applications that are being used by professionals, I would, I would hope, I would expect <laughs> that we will start to see, um, you know, more of these features make their way in, you know, I mean, I know Lightroom did um, finally added some, you know, like people detection and face detection and automatic categorization features into that application, mm -hmm. um, you know, I would expect we will see more of these kinds of features make their way into the professional applications. Um, and I think, you know, I think what that'll mean, and actually I have a whole chapter in the book that's just about the future of what does metadata even mean with photos. Um, I think from a professional standpoint is that, you know, we're not going to have to worry about metadata 10 years down the road, because I mm -hmm. think the computers will figure almost all of it out automatically. Ten years is too long. You know, and, <laughs> I'm TikTok. I'm getting older. <laughs> that's true. That's true. You know, and we all are. Um, maybe and, dog years. So you know, yeah. And I say ten, and maybe it'll be five, right? Because yeah, I mean, yeah. even if we go back five years now, you know, that puts us at 2015. You know, we didn't have any face detection in Lightroom by that point. We didn't. You know, um, you know, right. things are things are definitely getting. Uh, you know, they're they're moving quickly. Yes. So. <laughs> If we fast forward into and the story of how I ventured into, uh, you know, good cameras is that I had an out of town boyfriend and we met in Santa Barbara for a weekend and he had just purchased a Canon AE-1. And he was not the sharpest crayon in the box. He was very cute. So I'm the one that figured out how to load it and set it up. Uh, mm -hmm even though if you know anyway and then i had my little point and shoot and i took a couple of pictures on his camera and it was like you know how the sky opens up and you hear that ah and i couldn't believe that all of the things that i've always wanted to photograph i could do without having to learn the technology but listening to you today if i could uh you know sometimes on podcasts, they'll say, what would you tell your younger self? Well, <laughs> I would tell my younger self, sweetie, this technology is your friend and it's going to get easier for you to understand because your, your brain is going to grow so that you can take things in as it unfolds. Because honestly, Aaron, if we'd had this conversation, probably even 20 years ago, I would have been like lost. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> Uh, oh, so resistant to digital, but yes. Okay. <laughs> because, well, actually one of the reasons is I liked being able to take, let's say when I did uh, a wedding and I'd take in my 12 rolls of, of uh, 220 film, which was 24 images on each. And people would go, oh my gosh, how many weddings was that? And I'd be like, well, one. And they'd be like, oh my gosh, that's so many images, 350. I liked being able to give it to them. They process, they color balance, they created proofs or slide proofs. 
I didn't, so it was, I didn't need artificial intelligence on that. I just needed a good photo lab. <laughs> so I was resistant to all the extra work, but um, then again, right. it, my work is much sharper than it was back then. <laughs> exactly. You know, and we all grow and, you know, and I think you hit on something, which is, you know, I mean, you talked about, you know, being resistant to digital and, you know, there's, you know, you don't have to be a, you know, on the bleeding edge of everything all the time. Right. I mean, there's, there's technologies that show up and, you know, they sound like they're going to be the hot new thing. And the reality is they've fizzled out within a year. And if you devoted, you know, if you devoted a month to learning and becoming an expert on that thing, a year later, that was a month wasted because that thing died. Right. You know, so you can go too far, you know, with it. I mean, obviously if it's fun for you, great. But, you know, if we talk about as a, as a business, <laughs> you know, I think it's one of those things where, you know, at this point, you know, you know re-look at some of the things that, you know, that your camera or that your editing software says that it can do for you now, um, that maybe was something that the first version of it wasn't really great, right? Uh -huh. Because with any of these things, the first version of them usually isn't really great, mm -hmm. um, but they will get better, right? You know, even if you look at like um, the portrait mode on the, on the iPhone or on the Android, they have a similar feature as well, right? The first version of that was three, four years ago, where it kind of applied that fake bokeh effect to, you know, make it look like it was shot with a really, you know, um, you know, a really low f-stop kind of a thing, but it, even though it wasn't, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, and the first version wasn't really great. You'd get, sometimes you'd get weird artifacts around the person's head or things like that, but, yeah. um, but that was a sign of what was coming. And the reality is, you know, three, four years down the road where we are now, it's really good. Mm -hmm. And this year, Apple announced cinematic mode with the new version of the iPhones that essentially is portrait mode for video. It, you know, and so it captures, wow. it captures video using the same kind of effect. And you can actually kind of adjust that depth of field and adjust the focus in the video in editing afterwards. Mm. And yeah, I, here's it, a, a little question for you, but I didn't want to cut off your, so I'm going to put a pin in my question and okay. then continue. I was just going to say that, you know, same kind of thing and that, you know, the initial reviews on it are that it works, it works pretty well. Most of the time, it's not awesome all of the time, you know, but I look at it the same way. It's like, okay, this is working pretty well most of the time right now. Imagine where it's going to be three, four years down the road, right? right. So while I might not use that technology for a commercial job right now, I'm not also, I'm going to play around with it. I'm also not going to completely ignore it and dismiss it saying, oh, well, it's not as good, right? Because the reality is it probably will be good in a couple of years. And in that couple of years, if I've messed around with it a little bit, I'll have a leg up on somebody who just dismissed it outright and waited for it to become perfect before they right. started looking at it. So the moral of the story on that um, is pay attention to what's going on, mm -hmm. learn about it gently. Don't feel like you have to jump in uh, with, you know, completely at the deep end, but um, there are things that are going to continually develop that can be really great for us. Um, which that's actually how I, I got into the digital world is that I would attend workshops. Uh, you know, I gradually learned enough that when I had no choice, but to go digital, mm -hmm. um, I'd already built some of those neuro pathways, I think they're called in my brain. So, uh, 
I was able to swim when I was suddenly in the deep end. So the question I had, let's I'll put a pin in this and then we need to need to let you have the rest of your day to yourself <laughs> or whoever. Um, there was this, oh, a camera's coming out where you don't even need to focus. You just will correct it all later, however you want it. Do you know what I'm talking about? And it seems like that was like, wow, huh, that could be interesting. Do I want that? What I want to have to spend the time figuring out the focus. And then I haven't, this is maybe five years ago. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? And you it, were, yeah, you were talking about, uh, it was from a company called Lytro. Yes. Um, they called it a light field camera. And essentially, yeah, what it, it was, you know, you, you capture an image now. Um, and, you know, as, as we all know, as photographers, right, when you capture an image, you choose what you're focusing on, right? So maybe I'm choosing to focus on the person's face and I want the background to be blurred, or maybe I've chosen to use a really wide or a narrow aperture because I want both the face and the background to be in, in focus or whatever, right? So that's a decision we have to make now at the time we capture an image. Um, with this camera, it's like, take it now, whatever. <laughs> and then yeah. af after the fact, you can go adjust that focus, right? Maybe I want the background creamy. Maybe I want it sharp. I can figure maybe, that out. Maybe in the I want a different uh, focal length. Right, right. So what and happened to that? Because so what happened to that? That became the next big thing. It, it came out. Um, they tried selling their cameras with this technology to consumers. Uh, it was around for, I want to say about three years. It never really took off <laughs> significantly. Right. I mean, the people that bought it were early, early adopters playing around with it. Um, you know, and then the company, uh, basically the company shut down and got bought by Google is what mm -hmm. happened to that company. And so what I would expect is, you know, that those capabilities and things like that, I would expect we will maybe start to see them in, you know, in other products. Right. So, you know, it's similar to how, I mean, it's similar in some ways to like how the portrait mode on like an iPhone or an Android phone works, right? And that you capture it and then you can adjust some of that after the fact, um, you know, but it, it's something that didn't fully take off in, um, you know, kind of in the photography world on its own. That one yeah. feature on its own wasn't enough to turn that into a viable camera company. Right. But what I would expect is we will see that feature work its way into more of the camera companies that we know and love, whether that's, right. you know, your smartphone with Apple or whether that's your DSLR with Canon or Nikon. Yeah. I just, it sounded to me like it, first of all, would make more work. And second, it's that, like one of the things I miss about film is that you, I had to kind of wait for that perfect moment to mm -hmm. click. And I could have, you know, don't like guns, but if I ever had been in a situation where I needed to use them, I, I would have been a sharpshooter because I'm really good at that anticipation and clicking so that then just when that baby's little fingers are super cute, right? I've already kind of anticipated that. And I miss that like little high, that little like adrenaline shot when mm -hmm. you know, click, oh, I got it. Because with digital, I often do like five or six images. You know, it's more, it's a more broad stroke. Um, and it seemed like those cameras, you'd miss all of that completely. 
you know, looking through the lens or the viewfinder and seeing that, that moment that makes right. something in you jump up and down. So anywho, well, okay. Two questions and you might've already answered my second one. Okay. Uh, but one is, well, A, so it's a question and a half. You've got a book coming out. I do. I do. As, as we record, it actually came out about a week ago. Oh, good. So what's the title? How do they find it? So, so the title is The Computer Ate My Photos, Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Photography. A um, couple ways you can find that. Uh, one is just go to amazon.com, a little bookstore online you may have heard of. You can search for The Computer Ate My Photos or Artificial Intelligence and Photography. You should, you should find it or you can search for my name. Uh, it's available either as paperback or as a, a Kindle ebook. So uh, whichever format you'd prefer. Okay. Um, and then the other, the other thing I would suggest, um, if you uh, aren't ready to make the plunge and, you know, plop down a few dollars to actually buy the book, you can go to, um, I've got a, a page on my website. If you go to ai.techphotoguy.com, um, that will let you um, get a free chapter out of the book. You'd basically leave your email address. It'll email you a free chapter from one of the books. It's all about using AI to generate artwork and generate photos in the future, uh, which, is a, which is a whole different subject we didn't even get into today, but it's a fascinating, fascinating thing to look at. What, um, what's the subject? Because I was typing essentially, AI. Essentially computer-generated artwork, right? Okay. So Okay, yeah. Let's have, do that another time. Totally. But, wow. Okay. <laughs> So they can go to AI and it's in the show notes on, right. on my website, ai.techphotoguyphotoph.com. Right. And they, they read a chapter and then they, they so email that, you the receipt. No. So yeah, go, go there, read the chapter, um, you know, and that'll, that'll give you a taste of what it's about. And then if you want to buy the book and then, um, I do have a special offer for folks listening to this podcast. So um, in addition to writing a book about AI, I also do a lot of kind of consulting with photographers around technical things, whether that's their website, their email list, online marketing, uh, social media, uh, anything like that. And so um, if you go buy the book because you heard about it here, um, send me an email, Aaron at techphotoguy.com. Let, let me know you heard about me on Lucy's fantastic podcast. Um, and uh, for all the folks that will do that, um, I will wait until a month after this episode drops. Um, and then I will randomly select one of you for an hour long consulting session with me. And we, you can pick my brain and we can talk about whatever technical area or photography world we want. I love it. That, thank you for that. I'm lucky I've gotten to pick your brain. <laughs> I hate that yeah. expression, but it's, kind of fits with being that's partly why I do podcasts Aaron is I just love learning and getting to ask my own specific questions and learn so this has been very enlightening and uh, okay so the second question is uh, what is your parting thought and you kind of gave that uh, just a few minutes ago but you know, what would you like people to take away? You know, I'm going to, I'm going to loop it back to that quote that you opened the show with around technical plus creative. We've talked a lot about the technical, the technical aspect of it today. Um, and I just want to reassure photographers that don't worry, AI is not going to automate you out of your photography job <laughs> because uh -huh. even with the technical stuff getting easier, 
you know, we all know that what really makes a photo, a photo have the most impact and have the most resonance with the subject um, is the, the creative side, the emotional side, the, um, you know, the, the creativity, the, the style and the technique and the storytelling aspect of it. And so, um, you know, that's something that sometimes professionals get worried about is like, shoot, is my computer going to make me obsolete? And it's like, right. no, no, the, the computer is going to make some of the tasks you do right now obsolete, but your ability to deliver that impactful photo experience for your client, um, you know, as a business person is, is not something that's going to be replaced by the technology. So right. the future right. is bright. <laughs> it is. So I love that thought. And truthfully, uh, the relationship that we build with our clients is so much more important than the camera that we have or um, yeah. And then we bring our creativity into that and yeah, it's all good. It just opens up more, more and more and more. Exactly. Aaron, thank you so much for being on this show. I'm glad we got to meet and um, I'm not sure. One of the things I love about this industry is when I meet new people that are, you know, actively doing all the things that you do, I find that we have like a thousand mutual friends, even though we've never met and <laughs> maybe 40 of them have already been on the show. So, um, <laughs> right. I, I, I did laugh when, you know, after we met, you know, I, I made a connection for, to get you connected with someone else who I knew. And that turns out you guys already knew each other. It's like, oh, okay. Small world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is in this industry. Um, exactly. My, my, um, my dad was a pastor um, that they met in Eugene, Oregon, since you're Pacific Northwest guy. And within this smaller Protestant church community, it was the same kind of thing where you're part of a family and I could be anywhere, uh, you know, in the middle of a small town that had a church that was the same denomination and say, my dad was Ron Nowlin and they were like, oh yeah, Ron, we know him. And so I think that's probably one of the reasons I so love this industry is it's that, you know, we get involved. You're, you've been a member of PPA for how long? Uh, I believe I first joined, I'm coming up on 10 years. I think it was yeah. 20, I think it was 2012 when I first joined. Okay. So one of these days when you're, you get your lifetime membership, <laughs> <laughs> which I do have, um, it, you know, it's just, we, we're such people, people and creative people and fun, interesting people that, um, you know, for me, one of the joys of being in this profession is the people that we get to meet and make friends with. And now I'm putting you on that list for me. It's one of my friends. Is that all right? Certainly. Certainly. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, there's, there's, it seems like everybody's a photographer. And yet when you get into the, the world of professionals and people that are really into it and treating it seriously, you know, it's, it's a great group to be around. A lot of interesting people doing interesting things, whether it's traditional things or new things. Um, you know, ultimately, I feel like there's just the shared, there's the shared kind of, you know, goal and mission within the serious photo world of, you know, mm -hmm. keeping photography, you know, visible and viable as the important work that it is. Right, so. right. And 
love that expression, a rising tide floats all boats. So exactly. things grow as a community for those of us that get involved, uh, you know, attend conventions and serve on boards and just go to meetings and stuff. We get to be marinated in all the things that help us grow. So, all right. Well, I'll let you know when this is going to be out and um, stay tuned for my wrap up, everybody. Not that I can wrap up all the goodness of today's conversation, but I'll try to touch on a few points. <laughs> so th thank you, Times a Million, Aaron. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Lucy. It's been fun. So I bid him goodbye, adieu, so long, farewell. And now it's just you and I. <laughs> um, one thing we talked about after was attending the PPA convention in Washington, D.C. this coming 2022 in January. And I'm pondering doing a get together of some sort for people that, um, you know, celebrating or meeting guests and people that have been on the profitable photographer. So if you're going, stay tuned, be sure that you get in my email list and or join the profitable photographer private group and like the profitable photographer page. And then you'll get info about what my plans would be for that. So um, let's see, I think the I think the core is that technology is our friend <laughs> and it has been, I mean, technology goes back to 160 years ago when photography was invented um, and that, that there's many levels and seems to be kind of exponentially growing um, more capabilities so that we can do the part that is our part, which is the creativity and cameras can help us and um, technologies and softwares and management softwares and things can help us uh, have the results we want even easier, that we have more time for creativity. Um, and he shared that there's basically three areas that help us as professionals. We talked a lot about things that cameras can do or that he thinks will be available in the future. Right now there's eye recognition and face recognition focusing software. Um, and you know, so much more to come in that. Um, number two was about editing software and I've been using um, NIC filters, NIK, for a long, long time, at least 10 years, probably longer, that has helped me in that I didn't think about that as artificial intelligence, but it is. Um, Topaz Labs, things that can help us in our editing and our calling, all kinds of things. And then he sees that managing our images is going to get easier and easier where we don't have to put keywords and things in to find them later. Those things already exist in the consumer world, like with Apple and other um, phone softwares. And those are 
most likely going to be incorporated into the professional level. Um, so, and don't forget, he has a book called The Computer Ate My Photos. And you can find that on Amazon or other places, I'm sure. And he's got a drawing for an hour conversation with him from just people in this hearing this in the podcast. So thanks again for listening. And I'm sending a great big worldwide hug. So receive a hug and then pass it on to somebody energetically. <laughs> or if you're like, Lucy, you're so weird, then that's cool too. All right. Until next time. Bye for now. You have been listening to The Highly Profitable Photographer with Lucy Dumas. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share. To connect one-on-one -on -one and learn more about our coaching programs, just go to lucydumascoaching.com. Until next time, go have fun photographing and selling your work.